0: Because that channel has like three different currents running together, there's like a lot of weird things that are happening as far as like eddies and things like that. And mm-hmm. if you plan it at the right time or if the weather gets bad, like it would almost be in. So, for example, we had to plan a 10 day window when we thought would be the best, which was like in June. There's like a couple weeks in June and a couple weeks, I think, in July that are decent weather because you never know, storms always pop up. Um, and then basically, we're like, all right, we're going to go these 10 days and whatever looks the best. It just so happened that the day after we got there was going to be the best day and the day after that, there was going to be a storm. So if I didn't leave on the day that I left, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have made it.
1: This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to Soulpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today has her PhD in health and human performance. She's also a certified sports nutritionist. And uh, maybe most importantly, but certainly most interestingly, she has a world record in stand-up paddleboard. She's the first female and has the fastest time across the Florida Straits. Welcome to the show, Victoria Burgess.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Victoria, I gotta, I gotta ask. We gotta jump right in. Stand up paddleboard. So I, I'm from the Midwest, so this is not really a thing around here. Um, but I want to know about competitive stand up paddleboard because, you know, most of the time, my, I guess my exposure to stand up paddleboard is like people posing for Instagram, doing headstands and yoga on their paddleboards, which is nothing like what you're doing. So what, what is stand up paddleboard competitively? Like, what are you doing? Um, could you tell me a little bit about it?
0: Yeah, stand-up paddle boarding, which actually, yoga, headstands, I can't even do those. Those are real hard on that thing. I can barely <laughs> get on the ground. <laughs> but um, so stand-up paddle boarding is obviously with the big board, and you stand up and you paddle with your arms. Um, we, in Florida, it kind of evolved from surfing kind of a thing, mm-hmm. um, make the boards with more volume. Some are wider than others. So it's gotten a lot of people into being able to do water sports on a board, um, which Obviously, in the Midwest is a huge thing because there's no surf there, so I'm sure you see people maybe on a lake or something out there.
1: Every and once in a while.
0: Yeah, um, and it, there's many different areas of stand-up paddleboarding. Um, some is just recreational, where you go out and just check things out and relax. Um, there's stand-up surfing, and then there's racing. Um, so there's a bunch of different aspects, and some people just lay on it. You know, so there's a lot of things you can do on a stand-up paddleboard. Mm-hmm. But as far as like the racing goes, is that what you're curious?
1: About? Yeah. Yeah. Like how, how do we get it? Like say, to, to me, it seemed more like almost more like a leisure activity, not a competitive activity. So, I'm just curious like how that scene grew up or, or kind of what's going on?
0: I mean, it's more of a newer sport. Um, so, it's a more of a niche sport, mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, but even more so um, like skateboarding, I would say. And you don't really hear about it unless you're into it kind of thing. Um, I want to say maybe 10, 12 years old as an actual, like, real serious sport. Um, But it's still developing. Things are changing all the time constantly. Um, And basically, they're trying to get it together where there's certain, um, I would say, 5K and 10K are the usual distances. Most people start out as their first race doing, like, a 5K, kind of, like, similar thing. Um, And then as you go more... For some reason, they don't have it split where, like, 5K, everybody does it, even the fastest elite. Most of the times, the elite winds up having to do the longer-distance races, which would be the 10K. Um, That's how they basically have it set up. So, 5K, 10K, um, and then it's always different. It can be an ocean race. It can be a lake race, um, any kind of maybe canal or any kind of waterway that you have. And, of course, that changes up things, too, because of the box. Um, but, yeah, you go out and race, and it's different styles. Some are laps. Some are, like, see you in an hour and a half. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much it as far as the sport goes. Yeah. In a
1: <laughs> I assume it's, like, set up. There's going to be buoys or some kind of, gu- like, guides or waypoints.
0: Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, there's buoys in every race just because you have to know where to turn. Mm-hmm. There's some- that are technical races or they're known as technical races where they'll have it set up like in a triangle course or something where you're doing more turns and technical stuff. And then there's other races where they're like, okay, half a mile down or a mile down, you'll see a buoy, make a right-hand turn, come back, do three laps. Or three miles away is a buoy, turn around it and come back, kind of a thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There are some races that like to keep it close. Like we host a couple of races here in South Florida and we have it set up to where it's a lap race, but then they do a beach run in between so it kind of is a little more interactive with the um, people watching.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, but yeah, there's all sorts of different styles and everything.
1: So, I, I mean, I swim since I do triathlon, but otherwise, I'm really just I know uh, next to nothing about water sports. Um, I One thing I'm curious about, I know, um, like I've seen uh, dragon boat racing in Montreal, and they talk about You know, don't lazy paddle like you're using your core to paddle, you know, as your engine versus like just using your shoulders or your arms. I assume it's probably similar in that you're going to use your whole body to paddle a stand-up, right?
0: Yeah, and and that's what makes this sport a little bit more unique in a way, um, as far as it goes with like training, Um, because it's actually is a whole overall body sport. I mean, you're using your core, you're using your legs you're using a lot of your legs, which you wouldn't think. Um, Like, half the time you're doing, like, I would say probably, like, 80% of the time you're doing full squats for the whole time. Could be, like, half half the squats. (laughs) But, and then you're using, like, even the stability, you know, in your ankles and things, like, just the smaller muscles that you don't even realize you're using those, too. And then you do sometimes use a little bit of arms, but mostly lats for the upper body. Mm. And then arms, like the hands and stuff, are pretty much just to keep the paddle straight up. So, yeah, I mean, it's basically learning how to like put your whole body weight on the shaft that you're and using that body weight to propel the with the board.
1: Okay. okay.
0: When you see people into it, especially from the start, if they get serious and actually train with it, um, you see their body change like tons. It's really cool to see actually.
1: So, what, I mean, what, do you, what kind of like body shape do you end up seeing for, from people that have been doing it for a while?
0: I mean, typically they get more lean because it is also a lot of cardio. You're going as fast as you can the whole time, plus doing all this other stuff. Um, so they lose a ton of body fat usually, and they get a lot more. Lean. I would say, kind of like, like a, maybe a swimmer, but with muscles. Okay. <laughs>
1: that's, that's, it's just like it's, uh, you can almost, if you've been around enough sports, you can almost like look at somebody and be like, oh, like you're a swimmer. You run like you could almost like pick out the body so, especially in, in triathlon. You can kind of tell what sport people have come from, or if they've been in triathlon for. You know, triathlon kind of evens you out a little bit. You know, like I um, in college, I was racing. I had like almost no upper body. Not that I have a huge upper body now. Um, low 150s is what I weighed, and then my competitive weight now is like. 165 lately I've been up to 170 though I'm not sure where the weight is and I have much more upper body like I'm a lot more evened out my legs aren't as big even yeah. though the speed's similar so it's like all the time I've spent in the pool and not running as much has like kind of changed the weight distribution on my body so it's like that's just what I was curious about it you can almost like pick people out like
0: yeah. I don't know if
1: you could go to the beach and be like all right you stand up paddle you only surf like I don't know if you could do that
0: I probably could. I don't know if it's like that easy with like the untrained eye, but but I mean, you know, they typically have broader shoulders, like real strong backs. Um, Their core is super solid and usually cut, but I mean, but then some of the, like the kids, like the younger ones that are getting into it since they've been doing it for a while now, some of them are like string beans Mm. (laughs) and everybody, but I guess that's typical of kids
1: yeah they it. don't they seem to do more with less
0: like that kid just beat me and she's like 15 <laughs> <laughs> my is like size of both her legs put together <laughs> yeah um uh, i've experimented over the different styles of racing obviously hmm. i started racing in general because that's what you where you start and then um because my schedule and everything i started switching more towards like longer distances and open ocean kind of things. Um, and the training styles are different. And I've actually seen my body change when I was training with certain things, whether it be just the shorter races or the ultra endurance kind of stuff. So, that's been interesting.
1: So, you grew up in Florida. You're still in Florida. Did you, you grew up there, I assume?
0: Yeah, I, since I was five, I've here.
1: Okay. Um, I assume just being in the water is almost culturally just everybody's at you know at the beach all the time. Water sports are like the main thing there.
0: Actually, it's not. You would think it is, but that's more like California and Hawaii kind of a okay. thing. Um, the culture here is not. It's more like boating, fishing. For Florida. Um, okay. You know we do a lot of things. Um, but it's not like everybody in Florida. It's, this area, especially I live in South Florida, it's very transient. So, people are coming and going all the time. Um, and they're not very familiar. A lot of people are, like, from New York and New Jersey and like that. So, they don't necessarily uh, go in the water. <laughs> they like to oh, okay.
1: But, so, it's, it's, like, a lot of, um, I'll say, transplants.
0: Yeah, yeah. And okay. I mean, I didn't start surfing until I was, like, 19. I was a landscape like, softball soccer player.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well I mean what made you do the make the change was it just a matter of like okay I'm done with high school and now what or
0: pretty much I mean I did triathlons right after high school for a little bit I was going into the fire service so I was like in fire academy and I'm like what am I gonna do I have to train something so I started doing triathlons uh, and then I started meeting people who surf, so they got I spent a lot of time at the ocean growing up, but not like, you know, floating around in my tube or body surfing or whatever. But I wasn't like fully immersed in it until I got older.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Because, you know, when you're at a high school, that you're like, like if you're an athlete in high school, you're like, now what?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. If you go to college, then you, if, if you're in college sports, then you do that. You can do intramurals. But yeah, it's definitely like a matter of, I've seen plenty of people, even friends, that they competed in high school. Um, you know, friends I, I ran with in high school, and then they just do nothing for a while. Eventually, some of them have come back to running mm-hmm. as we've gotten, you know, closer to thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a mm-hmm. lot of them just kind of almost end up floating around. I don't mean to yeah. make a pun, just like <laughs> floating around aimlessly.
0: Yeah, it's a little frustrating, and it's even more so as a female. To get like the women athletes, especially at like I'm 35, um, so like anywhere from like 27 to like now, like 40. You know they're starting families and they have all this other stuff, so you lose out on that whole time because of that too. So that's hard to get people.
1: Yeah, Well, I mean, kids because <laughs> kind of, so yeah, such yeah. I can't remember what there's a comedian I I really like talks about. Maybe it's Bill Burr. Um, talks about when you have kids, like you're just sucked into this bubble for 20 years and you don't see anything outside of the bubble. It's just kids. And then like you pop out and you don't even know what's going on anymore because everything's new and you've been basically missing for 20 years. Pretty much. That's what it seems. I don't know. I don't have kids. Right. Um, So I'm wondering about your your world record. So uh, in the intro, I said, and this is how you'd ask me to say, it, you know, faster um, across the Florida Straits. For anybody that doesn't know, that's from Cuba to Florida. It's a 115 mile trek. Um, where was it? Was it? Is that a thing? Were you inspired by like Diana Nyad, who swam it a few years ago, or like where does the thought come from? Like this is something I'm going to do.
0: Well, I started doing um, open ocean longer distance paddling. In 2016, I did my first crossing in Hawaii, So I crossed the Molokai Channel, it's a 33 mile. That's actually set up as a race. Um, it's a little different got big swell and everything. Um, and then I did another one the following year. So I started kind of going, I love the ocean, you know, from the surfing background. Um, I wasn't, cause I worked full-time and I was in school. I wasn't able to, I was at that weird stage of the racing where I was faster than most people around here, but not as fast as like the full-time pros. So I was like always kind of by myself in the races, and I'm like, i got to change this up somehow. So that's when I started like going towards the open ocean style. Um, but then as my PhD started coming to close, I was like, okay, get to Hawaii. <laughs> I don't want to stop paddling, because that would be really bad. Um, so is there anything over here I can do? And then I remember Diane and I uh, did the channel. All right, that's like three times longer than anything I've done, but she swam it. So if she could swim it, you know, there's, you can do it if you plan it right. So that's when I started looking into that area.
1: What kind of logistics goes into that? I, I mean, you're looking at like weather reports and like current changes, like what, what, what are you doing to prep for that?
0: Well, the lo- logistics was kind of a difficult part. Um, I hired the boat captain that goes over many times. I think he even was with Diana, at one of her tries that when she went. Because that channel has like three different currents running together, there's like a lot of weird things that are happening as far as like eddies and things like that. And mm-hmm. if you plan it at the right time or if the weather gets bad, like it would almost be in. So, for example, we had to plan a 10 day window when we thought would be the best, which was like in June. There's like a couple weeks in June, and a couple weeks, I think in July that are decent weather because you never know. Storms always pop up. Um, and then basically, we're like, all right, we're gonna go these ten days, and whatever looks. The-. It just so happened that the day after we got there was gonna be the best day, and the day after that there was gonna be a storm. So if I didn't leave on the day that I left, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have made it. But so we had to like kind of say, listen, we really want to stay, but I have to go. <laughs> um, so I got there and I left the next morning, uh, and then otherwise. I hired the captain, so he pulled, like, permits and things like that for me. So I didn't have to worry about that. And then the other stuff was mostly just training. But, yeah, you have to pay attention, you know, to the wind. We had to jog a little bit south when I started because of the wind direction. And then the current later would be able to pull me up easier. But if I didn't, I'd have to fight the current when I was tired. So I'd rather fight it in the beginning. You know, so there's all sorts of that kind of logistical planning, too, as far as your route.
1: I kind of think about it too. I know, I mean, you were, so you were out for it was like 27 hours and change. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> I mean, it's, maybe not obviously, but I'm going to assume you're eating and like taking in fuel in that time. You're not yeah. just going straight, right?
0: I, I for my eating, like very much the same amount of time I put into my actual like paddle training because. The last thing I wanted to do was have, like, GI distress when I was out there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or, or not make it because of something I ate or whatever. So I practiced eating, and I, like, did all the calculations, But I'm into that, so it was fun for me. Um, but I spent a ton of time on practice And I actually ate, like, 7,000 calories. Close to 7,000 calories. So, yeah, it was constantly. I had a support boat. There was two captains, a paramedic. Videographer and my boyfriend, who's a paddler, and then another guy, and they were like feeding me, changing my water pack.
1: <laughs> so it was like, so the, the the boat pulls up alongside you, and then like somebody's like holding out a sandwich to your face, and you're eating it, or like, is that logistically what's happening?
0: I had a paddle towards the boat because it was a catamaran, so it didn't really move very quickly. Okay, but I'd paddle over, and um, they would hand me food. Sometimes at first I would try to sit, but it was choppy. So it would, my board kept banging up against the boat. I was like, this is ridiculous. So they would just break the sandwich, and I'd stuff it in my pack, and then just stuff it in my mouth. And then I'd take snacks. So I would have snacks in my pouch here. I had, like, a water pouch that had a zipper in the front. And so, like, every half hour, I'd have, like, a little snack. And every hour, I'd have a little more snack. And then I had, in my pack, I had, like, an electrolyte supplement that I use a lot. So I pretty much had calories coming I mean, in.
1: A lot, all the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh. So seventh. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> get some like clicking noises here. I don't know if I can do this in my head. Do you know what your hourly intake was?
0: Uh, it varied.
1: Oh yeah, so that's not bad. So you're taking in like two two hundred to three hundred, which is pretty normal. It was. It was probably around three
0: hundred an hour. It varied. I mean, like. My main meals were, like, peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. I had potato once, twice. That was actually really good but hard to eat. Not very attractive. <laughs> I had, like, pasta a lot out of my mouth, but it tasted good. But then my, my snacks were, like, uh, baby food packets of fruit and, you know, things like goo, goo, uh, chews, or sometimes Oreos. <laughs> they're they're <pretty> good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've always, like, kind of surprised it. Um, I mean, I'm more familiar with people fueling for like Iron Man, not fueling for a 27 mi- <laughs> 27 hour adventure. But you know, people eat M Ms or what, just like you know what we would normally consider junk food. But it's like you just need anything yeah. you can get in your body that's not going to cause GI issues or what you know whatever.
0: And you know, it's funny because um, when people heard about what I ate, a lot of times people well couldn't you have eaten you know X Y and Z? And I'm like. But like, am I going to eat a salad, like, with avocado out there? Like, no. And you have to remember, too, the water is moving. So you just want – and a lot of it's very mental. So some people can function off calories just from whatever they're drinking. I can't. I need to eat something or else I always feel hungry. So if – and then it's, like, if it's good. Like, I always got excited when they were, like, holding me a cookie. <laughs> so, I mean, of course the sugar and everything worked as well. But even just the mental game of that, like, I get a cookie in 20 minutes. You know, so that was fun too. Because I mean, I didn't even know they had so many flavored Oreos till I was training for this. (laughs) Like, this is great. (laughs) But I didn't eat all that stuff in my regular diet. But I practiced with it and did it.
1: Yeah, well, I can imagine that. Just thinking about you know how down I you know the ups and downs of I've only done races that are a little over four hours long and just the ups and downs in that time, you know, multiply that by what six, a little over six times. And just how like, like trepidatious your mind has to get over that time where it's like even this, I just imagine the smallest thing be like, ooh, a cookie, like just it takes your mind off of the task and then you get a little treat.
0: <laughs> exactly. I was like, yes. Um, and then at, there was one point in the night where I did have a hard time. I wanted to quit. We had a storm for like two hours. And in my head, I was like, I'm just over this is ridiculous and well you know you're not hurt you know I didn't tell the guys because I was just like no no I just kept it to myself but I remember saying hey give me some of that coke like we had some coca-cola I was like give me a swig of coke and I swear it was so cool I saw like I went from like being so pissed off angry to like okay we got this we're good only six more hours of dark Like just from drinking a little bit of like sugar and caffeine, you know, so it was really cool to see that kind of stuff actually work personally. Cause you read about it, you hear it, but just to see it actually work and like the way I felt changed totally. I was like, cool. Okay.
1: Is is there anything you did like to to keep, I guess I'll say the demons at bay. Cause obviously there's going to be these, these things that creep in. They're like, this is dumb. Like, why? Why am I out in the middle of the ocean paddling in the middle of the night in the middle of a storm? Like, how did I find myself out here? But, like, I mean, aside from the, the coke, is there any like, did you practice any kind of mental strategy where you're like, all right, when, when I start telling myself that this is you know idiotic, I need to remind myself of X, Y, or Z, like anything like that.
0: I mean, I, I didn't. I did some yoga. I didn't really do any kind of meditation stuff because I'm terrible at that. Um, but. I had like personal things that happened throughout my training. Like I lost two really close. One was my dog, and then the other one was my daughter. So, like within that six month period, and I had, um, I had like my dog stick around my board, and I had a necklace with writing, like little stuff like that. And so that kind of motivation kept me going during the hard, hard times where I was like, I gotta do this because they would be real proud and things like that, you know. But 'm normally a pretty decent self positive her I guess throughout the sports and things you know so um, I didn't have and I didn't have any pain thankfully I didn't cramp at all so I didn't have those issues where I was like fighting through some kind of cramping and things so that might have changed how I felt but the one time with the mental I can't stop because you don't know it. like I was saying oh I can do this I don't even need to do it I know I can make it and then I was like how do you know you can make it? You didn't even. you are not there yet. You don't know if you can make it. So, like a little bit more positive self-talk kind of thing. But that was pretty much. I got lucky. Um,
1: I want to switch gears on you a little bit. I, I think I saw. I saw. So I didn't see this on your website, but I think I saw this in the note and kind of information you sent, Joe. Are you currently a firefighter?
0: Yeah, I've been a career firefighter paramedic for the last. When I Okay. Um. So I kept. That's why I kept going to school. Um. Just because, I started young. So I had to be pretty soon. So yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs> well, so I was, that's what I was telling you. Like when we we had to reschedule. Um. For anybody that's listening or watching on YouTube, uh, we had to reschedule days. Uh, and Victoria was nice enough to reschedule with me, so we could get this whole conversation in. But I said that. Um. Uh, there's. You've got a lot going on. There's a lot of things to unpack. <laughs> is a lot so
0: it's going like, on over here. <laughs> I'm like, a transition stage right now between leaving there, there and fe- coming up in February and starting my own thing. And I, I sold the house and I moved an hour and a half north. So, I'm in between the two spots right now trying to move my life but and still like do everything else. <laughs> but mm-hmm. good.
1: So, uh, I mean, it seems like timeline wise, you're you're working full-time as a firefighter going to school and also trying to set a world record all in the same same well, window yeah.
0: and but it was weird because it was like i was yeah i was training and, and i was going to school but you know phd level is a lot of writing mm-hmm. and i'm writing. and i work i'm a fire inspector now so i got promoted like eight years ago so i work monday through friday um so i would train on my lunch mostly in the gym and then after work i would paddle shorter and then a distance paddles I would do on the weekends. But um it, it's kind of weird. Like the timing actually worked out pretty good because I was doing all that stuff, but it was not norm, it was anything different except for some of my longer paddles were longer. But I trained anyways, you know? And it just so happened that the day I or the month I finished my coursework for the PhD before I started my dissertation was the month that I had a cross. So I was finished with my cr- coursework. I focused solely on the crossing. And right when I got done I started my degree, so it's like it was like really cool timing um I don't know I got lucky <laughs> it was definitely a lot to do at once but I'm used to doing a lot at once so it wasn't like anything abnormal but now when I think about it I'm like oh, God, I'm do that again <laughs> but not like that
1: <laughs> were you um I know I'm this way at least growing up like I wanted to do everything like <laughs> I had to be busy. Like, if I'm not busy, I'm like I start going out of my mind. You gotta take downtime, but I just if I don't have something going on or a variety of things going on, like I I just get I don't know if it's dull or bored or anxious or what it is. But are you like that?
0: I you know I don't know. I I don't try to have things going on. They just happen. I just go with them because I'm having fun. <laughs> so like. I plan, I plan to move an hour and a half north of South Florida so I can, like, get away from the chaotic mess down there, so I can kind of chill out more and focus more on, like, what I'm doing with the the company and also myself, because I've, I really want to, like, train to see how fast I can get, like, for real now, you know, when I'm not working full time, because I never have had that opportunity where I can do that, but, but then, like, the, the more time, so I was going to try to take off, like, six months after I leave the fire department to just chill and surf and do thing like I never have. <laughs> and I, and then the more I stopped doing stuff, like, the more stuff comes to do. So I'm like, oh, like, this opportunity came, and that opportunity came, and I'm like, oh, gosh. And it's fun. You know, the stuff is fun, so I don't want to turn it down. So then I just wind up getting busy. Like, my whole year, next year, is booked to, like, September, pretty much. <laughs>
1: You just have like your calendar is just like it's blacked like, out dates the whole way through.
0: Like, where is all this stuff coming from? But it's cool.
1: <laughs> I mean I guess you know when you when you do unique things and people want your attention or know that you're qualified for things and people kinda of come out of the woodwork and find you and say, Hey, come do this <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's fun though, I like it, so I'm excited.
1: Yeah. Um, so with your your new venture, I think I saw you're So, you're working on like, feel free to correct me, obviously, you're working on um, like high performance nutrition for, I'll say athletic professions, firefighters, police officers, that kind of thing?
0: Right. Yeah. So, I, I created a company called Tactical Athlete Nutrition. And basically, it's high performance for like firefighters, they obviously, you know, there's some companies that focus solely on performance. But there's really not many all that do anything with nutrition. And just being around the guys and seeing where a lot of the issues are, uh, I really wanted to apply what I've learned from my education, but also being with them and seeing them. Uh, and hopefully I'll be able to help them out. But I think it's going to be great. I've had a lot of awesome feedback so far and interest. Just by saying stuff, I'm already, like, interfering on my six-month break. <laughs> but I'm excited about it. So we'll see where it goes. I think uh, I wanna, the way I look at it is, you know, these guys, and I'm just looking at it from the firefighter standpoint right now, but it's similar throughout uh, police and military and a few. Uh, they are like professional athletes. You know, they, they do need to perform as well. Fortunately, it doesn't happen like that when they get in because, you know, they don't have the tools to help them. And they don't know. Like, a, like an NFL player there, they play football professionally, they come on the team, to play football. They're, they are like, here you go, go play. They have nutritionists, they have physical therapists, mental health people. They have all those tools to help them out, and they can perform at their highest. Our guys, unfortunately, they don't. And they don't know, and it's not their job to know. Stuff. So I'm trying to change the outlook because the professions, they're, they're suffering so much. Heart attack, cardiovascular disease. They've got a ton of mental health things, more and more so, like everybody needs aid. Um, but just in general, and it's all because they don't have the tools, you know, so I'm just going to try to really push the education and things like that and get people to realize that these guys need that. They're not signing like multi-million dollar deals. They're just public servants trying to help out people. Like let's help them too, you know, so that's where I'm going with it. Um, And it seems to be very well perceived, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I really don't know, you know, what like life in a firehouse looks like. I assume that it's um, a lot of hurry up and wait, and then like wait, waiting for you know crisis to strike essentially. Um, so like how, how does I guess how, how does nutrition for those guys does it differ from from athletes or is it just trying to apply the similar kind of ideas to them?
0: sorry you broke up that first part
1: that's okay um so, so w- and- when like when you're trying to design like a nutrition plan or, or food for um, the guys in the firehouse does it do they is there something sp- special about what they need or is it like trying to apply similar principles as you would to like that NFL player onto uh, the, the firemen
0: I think first of all it's I want to apply all individual standpoints, like individualization for each person, including their after shift stuff. Because um, obviously they're not eating right on shift, then what's it going on? But the problem isn't necessarily first what to apply right away. It's what they're doing currently. And, you know, when you're, I South Florida is real busy. So like I come from a fire department that, they're not really waiting because they can't wait because they're getting calls left and right. You know what I mean? So, a lot of times they get real hungry and a lot of times they just grab donuts or grab junk and it might be two or three in the morning or, you know, and the sleep cycles off, which obviously affects a whole bunch of other things too. So, supplying them with the education of maybe what not to do, how to exchange it, and then get into individualized plans, see where they're at individually. Um, because I don't know, like, if you you follow your own nutrition and everything, I'm sure kind of maybe sometimes. Like,
1: I'm always working on, like, trying to better what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah.
0: A lot of times what I find, like, with my the individual – I work with some clients now at a company called Paddle Monster, um, a lot of paddle athletes. But when you first just start to point out numbers to them or where they think they're at, And even with myself, it's like shocking, you know, where you think you're at to perform and where you're actually at until you actually get like, get it down kind of and still even then you're kind of wacky sometimes. Um, It's like way off, you know, so even just getting them at first to realize where we're at, why this is happening, things like that, and how we can fix it. You know, that's kind of where I have to start. And then implementing things will be all individual, you know, because each person is different. Um, And I think it also, that's why I like to really work one-on-one with people. I don't do any kind of like, some people sell, uh, like, I don't even like plans that everybody can sign up for or whatever. I won't do that. I won't do it. I just won't do it because I just want to get to know the person, see what they're doing and everything, every day changes, you know? So if you have a goal, even as an athlete, you're going to eat different on your off days than you are on your you know, training days and you are on paper week and you are, you know, so it's always changing. And I like to, I'm feeling like that's how we're getting, I'm getting good results with my athletes now is by just continually seeing, and I've, people have patterns too. So that's good. But, you know, that's why I don't want to have any kind of generalized plan. So That's what I want to do for them. You know, I think, I think they need it real bad. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, this is a <laughs> kind of curiosity from the business standpoint. Do you end up um, like billing the department
0: yeah to so work with the guys the, that's the goal for this is okay. to be like a department type of it I guess you call it government contracting in a way mm-hmm. I don't want to like I can get the, them as clients by reaching out to them if they needed it but I want it to be something that the department offers for them that they can take advantage of as a you know benefit to them um, and I think that having the peers doing it and having you know, educational sessions with everybody and, you know, things like that, that it'll get more people involved and included because they'll want to be, like, involved, you know? So, yeah, it's not... I mean, I will take individual clients if people want it, but as far as me, for a business standpoint, it's going to go in that direction, which is, like, what I don't know the most about. <laughs> But I'm learning. <laughs> so I have right. a good that does that kind of stuff. He's teaching me the ropes on that. That's the hard part.
1: Yeah, that seems kind of like the key I have a um, I have a business mentor and he he does both private and government contracts and I, I'm not interested in that at all but I know if I was I could go to him and in general that seems like the way to go like find somebody that's already figured out the system like please help me figure this out <laughs> and then go from there but that's that's cool that like you kind of think about it almost like um, for the departments that could offer it it's like it's like an employee perk basically like not only do you, know, you get your salary and whatever benefits there may be, but on you know additional benefit is, hey, we're going to make sure like you're eating the right stuff so you feel good and you can you can go go home to your family and not be totally exhausted at the end of the day.
0: And I mean, it also cuts down on like workers' comp and sick time and things like that from
1: mm.
0: administration standpoint. So it's just a new thing, um, and they haven't really ever really thought about it too much, and so. Luckily, I've been involved in it so long that I know a lot of the people. To try to like say, look, this might be new, but maybe we can open up to new ideas because the stuff that we we're doing before is not working. So mm. yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, it goes good.
1: <laughs> I I think it's really neat. I, it's like I said, I haven't seen it clearly. You know, there. I think your your kind of problem or need case of like the guys are grabbing donuts at three a.m. to try to fuel themselves, like. Clearly, that's not great. Like a donut every once in a while, okay, but like that's the mainstay of your diet. I'm not sure anybody would advocate for that.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's not just the donut at you know three a.m. to get that sugar rush, but it's just their overall lifestyle. On top of the stress that they get from job and and their sleep, the sleep cycle. To be honest, I think has a lot to do with a lot of the issues. But nutrition can play a performance and try and help out the negative effects that you can get from lack of sleep. Uh, so, but if you're if you're fueling yourself with the wrong stuff, that's gonna even make it worse. You know, you might not be able to, you can't help the sleep issues with firefighters or police and stuff or shift workers because that's their job. But if you can do things to maybe offset those negative things, it might help, you know. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's where where I'm aiming for.
1: I'll have to follow up with you once you got like things going and see you know what kind of feedback you've gotten like think how things progress because it's like I, I definitely want to see you know how things go.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had have uh, I have something going on with it right now already, and I just I don't know. They I don't know. We'll see. I'll keep you updated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to be very. But from the very few that have heard about it, it's very—it's been perceived like really good. Like people are like, whoa, this is actually interesting. They want to find more." So to me, just even that alone is a good thing because I'm like, "All right, this is something that's needed. It's missing. Um, they want it." So if I can just—it's gonna take—it's gonna take a lot of work <laughs> to get them to like, you know, go for it for real. But I think once I get them to realize that it's important. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen as an athlete, it's, it's surprising that athletes, even today, we don't know how to fuel ourselves. They don't even think nutrition's like on the burner you know, like people don't really know about it. Now. And you would think like after all these years, <laughs> we would, but we really don't really know a lot about it. to get peak performance, mm. you know, I crossed that channel and ate maybe like 3000 calories and probably made it and felt like shit after and you know what I mean? So, yeah, I would have made it though, just out of my willpower, hopefully. But so people, they can do things temporarily, but if they're not necessarily performing at their peak or their best that they could. They don't even, yeah, it's always surprising, like, especially the more you get into that, the nutritional standpoint, it's like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> like, how could people really perform even better? Because people are performing like really good nowadays in everything, right? So once they start advancing that even more, it's going to be like that's pretty cool. I don't know, it's interesting.
1: I've spoken to like several different registered dietitians um, from the beginning of the show till now. Um, one in particular, Nancy Clark, who wrote basically wrote the book on like sports nutrition. It's her she has a sports nutrition guidebook. And one of the things like I talked about with her is that, like a lot of the information is is or should be common sense by now. And it's like, we've heard it all, but but we don't actually put it into use. And I, I kind of wonder whether it's a matter of, there's so many distractions, there's so many things for us to focus our attention on. And food is like, like, you know, like I'll continue to use the donut as, as an example, but just like, it's a convenience food. There's tons of convenience food. Yeah. But like, peak performance fueling requires constant preparation and planning. To yeah. have that stuff in place before you need it, not, oh crap! I don't have anything in the house, and now I need to go find something to eat. So I'm going to go find something quick because I don't have any time because I've got to get this done. And right. and I, I, you know, we're guilty of that here, like in, in my house as well. Just, you yeah, know it's. it's so I, I feel like having people like you, they're like almost you know spoon feeding people like me, like. This is what you need to eat? It, it kind of takes out one of those steps of all that planning. Like, you did the planning, okay? Now all I have to do is the shopping and prepping. Like,
0: <laughs> it is, and it's a lot of education just so you can change your mindset, you know, and make it more of a natural thing to do. Right? And it's it takes a while, right? I am not any good at it sometimes either. You know, I get busy, and you know, I am like, oh, there's no food in my fridge, and I have to go to work. What am I gonna eat? You know, so. It's constant practice. Even when you understand it, it's still practice. And mm-hmm. the last thing you have to do the time is think about that stuff after you went to work and then train your butt off. <laughs> you just want some food.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're hungry, you're tired, you, you don't want to do anything else and then okay, now you have to cook something. That's where prepping comes in, where it's like you have meals prepped on Sunday or whatever whatever the day of the week, you know, you can Do it, and then it's like, okay, now all I have to do is just heat it up and eat it. It's not going to be, it's not going to taste as good as if it's fresh, but you also don't have to go through the hassle of (laughs) cooking it right then.
0: And, like you had said before, I think that food has become just a part of our culture in like so many different ways where we don't eat just to fuel our body Mm -hmm. because it tastes good, you know, or like you said, it doesn't taste as good when you have to reheat it. We like to eat it fresh, you know, or we go out with our friends and like it's a social thing or, you know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of that, too, that I think affects how we look at food as far as fueling. Fueling for performance is not really the greatest like fun. <laughs> you know, when you're trying to cut down or lean up and <laughs> it's like, I got to do what? Oh, gosh. So,
1: yeah, I. I have trouble with that. And like I said, like lately, I, I, I've I'm kind of gained weight kind of almost inexplicably. I don't feel like I've changed what I'm eating. And I'm like, I I, I look just as lean as ever. So I'm like, what is, like, what's happening? And what, which I'm going to diagnose that with my, my coach. We're in the process of that. But um, yeah, there's definitely this, I mean, food culture. Like I've got, you know, a uh, um, uh, portrait and a quote from Anthony Bourdain downstairs, a uh, big fan of his. Uh, may he rest in peace and, and but just there's, there's all these i mean there's a the food network you know, all these food shows and it, it's it's an event it, it's uh you know something we do to get together with friends so it's an excuse to be social like it's way more than just my body needs these things so I'll take them in like i've got you know like a nutrient block it's got all the vitamins and minerals i need and i'll eat it i'm good like it's yeah. a whole experience, and yeah. I that that plays a factor into okay, I, I you know I maybe like a peanut butter and jelly is the best thing for me, but I really want you know a piece of chocolate cake because it's you know Sarah's <laughs> birthday and we're gonna go out and celebrate with her and right,
0: I'll have one glass of wine a bottle later <laughs> <laughs> right, but there's only three glasses in a bottle right
1: <laughs> so well I didn't know that but. Glasses. It depends on how big the glass is, I guess. But
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't
1: know. It's cool, though. I think what I, I, I'm curious how, what kind of what your experience is, but I, I ask a lot of people, and we'll, which we'll get to this question, I ask a lot of people about food. I talk to, because um, it is a universal. And, and often, even the people that are performing very, very well, um, like my friend, my friend Todd, I've had him on a couple of times. He has his PhD in exercise physiology. One of his like favorite recovery foods is just peanut butter and jelly. And then often I'll get I'll get um, responses of like I really love ice cream or pizza or beer or whatever after a hard workout. And it almost seems like uh, you know half the time or more than half the time I get these responses that are like comfort foods rather than food for fuel. Right. You know.
0: Yeah. Like I think. Like, especially with the long-term performers that, like I said before, a lot of it's mental. You know, if you, if you, were, I mean, you can't have it like every single day, every single hour, you know what I mean? But if you don't let yourself indulge a little bit on those things, I mean, I like, those things have sugar, they have carbs, they have, you know, things, protein, you know, so they're good, you know, in a, in a certain time frame, certain here and there, you know, you can't always have it after every single workout. But if you're like, man, I need that ice cream today, like it's not terrible. It's you're still replenishing, you know, the glycogen and everything you need. But you can't just do it all the time. Obviously, that's not the best. <laughs> I guess you could. Some people they just can perform whatever. But um, I think a lot of it too is a mental thing where sometimes people they just want to feel good and happy for a little bit. As long as they have the control, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Every once, in a while. as long as they're getting protein.
1: In there. Yeah, I kind of think about it. In um, so one of my coaches, she's a former professional triathlete. Um, she competed in the Olympics, I think, in 2004. Sh- she always suggests basically 90-10. Like if you're eating well 90% of the time, and you have a treat 10% of the time, like you're it's not a big deal. Like don't punish yourself because you decided to have a treat every once in a while. <laughs> Um, so, so that actually leads me to my question. This is the question I ask everybody like I kind of alluded to. Um, it's especially pertinent for you since you do nutrition. Uh, but I'd like to ask, um, so after a hard workout, maybe not your channel crossing because it's kind of unique, but after a you know, hard workout um, or a race, if you if you can only choose one food for recovery for the rest of your life, what do you choose?
0: Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> After a race, what do I choose? I don't know. I just eat, like, I change it a lot, you know? It really depends on what I'm in the mood for and what you I you have eat. a top three? Huh? Do you
1: have a top three?
0: It's been a while since I actually raced. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't raced in like a year and a half. I'm trying to even remember what I ate. I'm usually pretty, like, right away, I, I mean, right away I have protein right now. Like, I'm having protein, cake, like, mix it with water. That's like always what my go to is I like just get in the habit of doing that. But and then like to be honest, a lot of times races they'll have stuff like hamburgers or sandwiches and things and I'll grab that. You know, I don't have like a like a set go to thing I have to eat. But I do make sure I get like a shake in after. But, but it's not like tasty tastiest thing. I guess if I wanted to like indulge, I'd want something greasy or something. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I usually just eat what they have as long as it's nothing too crazy and then you know, something chilling. you usually starve.
1: Okay, the, the food of convenience, that'll work. Yeah. Um, Victoria, if people want to find you, um, follow you, see what you're doing, especially with the, the uh, uh, I guess say firefighters, policemen, that kind of stuff, where can they find you and kind of see what you're up to?
0: Well, I mean, I'm on social media. I have Instagram, where I post a lot. I have a website, which is my name, VictoriaBurgis.com. Um, but I'm more active on my social media. So, okay. Instagram's AquaholicV. <laughs> and then my Facebook's just me.
1: That sounds good. Thanks for coming on today, Victoria.
0: For having me. <laughs>